Hello, my name's Jim White and welcome to It's Friday, your weekly guide to the best of arts, culture and entertainment to enjoy as lockdown begins to ease. The easiest way to join us every week is to subscribe on Spotify, Apple and Google, where you can also find all of our back editions. And if you haven't already, don't forget to sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk. This week, a special moment for those of us of a certain age in our mohair suits and button-down Fred Perry polo shirts. Yes, the mod father himself, Paul Weller, has a new album. Not a thing I'd change if I could I'm happy here in my neighbourhood Meanwhile, a couple of other old-school pop stars, Spandau Ballet's Gary and Martin Kemp, are the self-aware subjects of a new mockumentary on BBC Two. In 1988, Martin broke teenage hearts as he settled down to marry fellow pop sensations, Pepsi and Shirley. It might raise a few eyebrows, you know, but it works for us. I mean, why have one wife when you can have two? It's like double the fun, isn't it? Plus, the great hip-hop musical Hamilton is getting a timely outing on a small screen near you. Two Virginians and an immigrant walk into a room diametrically opposed foes. They emerge with a compromise, having open doors that were previously closed. Before that, though, some very good news. This weekend, the country makes its first tentative steps back to normality. Pubs and restaurants reopen, as do cinemas. So what can we expect when we return to our local flea pit? Will we be able to buy popcorn? Can we still, as the drifters advised all those years ago, sit on the back row kissing with our baby? Or will we have to keep at least one empty seat away? And why is it that theatres, music venues and comedy clubs are remaining shut? How much of the West End is likely still to be there when the curtain finally rises sometime in the autumn? With me to discuss the next step for live performance are Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television guru, and Brian Viner, the Mail's movie critic. So, uh, Brian, the world is opening up on July the 4th in every area, it seems, apart from arts and entertainment. Uh, basically, cinemas are open, aren't they? Well, some cinemas are open from this weekend, Jim, yeah. So um, the showcase chain are opening some of their cinemas, not all of them, I don't think. Uh, But they're the only ones this weekend. I mean, they're all allowed to open, but a lot of them are holding on. So the big multiplexes like Odeon and Cineworld and View, Picture House, they're all going to open later in the month. And basically, they're, they're holding fire for the... For the two big new uh, summer releases, which are Disney's Mulan, the live-action remake of the of the 1998 animation, and Tenet, Christopher Nolan's big sort of sci-fi action thriller blockbuster, which he steadfastly said he will only release back into cinemas and not, you know, show on on streaming. So by the end of the month, at any rate, they will, I think, mostly all be open. Yeah. And and how different an experience is it going to be? Presumably, it's not. Going to, you, we're not going to be going into a packed cinema again, are we? No, we're not. No, obviously, social distancing measures have been taken. You know, then there'll be the perspex screens and everything that we're used to seeing in our supermarkets will be uh, will be seen in cinemas. They're using the fire exits so that people won't go in and out of the same door. You'll go in one and out of another, uh, stuff like that. No pick and mix, as I think I, I uh, touched on last week, which I know is a, 
personal tragedy for you, Jim. But uh, <laughs> so it will be very different. But the thing about cinemas is that they can operate on a on what is effectively a sort of social distancing model, if you like, because you know they're used to only thirty, even twenty percent occupancy. If you think of a, an average cinema on a sort of Tuesday afternoon or something, you know they're never even half full. This is nothing new for them, and they can operate. They can be via. They can be commercially viable. Uh, operating on that basis. Which theatres can't be. I mean, theatres need to be 100% full, effectively. This week, the Manchester Royal Exchange announced 65% staff redundancies. The Nuffield Theatre in Southampton's already in administration. It's going to happen, isn't it? Claudia, are you going to be dashing back to your um, local flea pit? Well, actually, I, I had a look that there's none that are opening near me just yet. I've got to wait until nearer the end of the month. But I, I will be. I'm looking forward to it because I've, yeah, I've, I've been looking into how they're going to operate. And it's, yeah, it's like they've read my personal manifesto. I don't know <laughs> if you remember, we were discussing it, um, oh God, a few months ago now, back uh, in normal times, what, what we hated about going to the cinema. And um so yeah, well, if, if I was to go in a couple of weeks' time, I could I could go on my own. I'd have nobody sitting next to me on either side, <laughs> like bliss. Uh, they're going to reduce the number of snacks available. They're going to give a thorough cleaning between each screening. They're going to stagger screenings <laughs> at multiplexes so everyone's not piling in and out at the right time. It sounds like heaven. There are going to be, apparently, uh, I believe Live Nation, the concert company, are going to start a series of drive-in concerts uh, around the country. Uh, that's about the only way we're going to see live stuff. I mean, I mean, genuinely live as opposed to the cinema, isn't it, Brian? From Through our windscreens. <laughs> yeah, I quite, I've only ever once been to a drive-in movie in, in America years ago, and uh, I'd say I absolutely loved the experience, so I'd be very happy of course it does tend to rely on you know nice weather so uh, you know some teeming summer rain is not going to be ideal for sitting in our cars watching screens one of the in innovations that theatre has come up with is uh, Claire Foy and Matt Smith are doing live performances of Lungs from the stage at the Old Vic, which you can then subscribe to and watch live on your screen at home. Now, this often happens in the cinema, doesn't it, uh, Claudia, that you can go along and see live performances of theatre. This has been going on for, for years. The National Theatre has been doing yeah. it. Perhaps that's the future for theatre for a while, that our only way we're going to see live performances is going along to the cinema. That could work. If, if people are desperate for their fix, they would go to the cinema and see it. Um, I think it's happened for operatic productions as well, hasn't it? They've, they've been sort of been screened simultaneously at, at the opera house and also at the cinema at the same time. So that definitely could be the way forward. Yes. Uh, Brian, does it work for you? Are you a big fan of going along to watch theatre productions live in your local cinema? Does it work? I, I, I haven't done much of it and... Um, what little I have done, it hasn't really worked for me. And actually, it's, it's an interesting subject this week in particular because there's a slight twist on that in that the, uh, the Hamilton, the hit musical, I'm going to come to this later, Jim, but it's the only big, it's the big sort of streaming release of this week, but the hit musical has been, um, is being streamed by Disney Plus, so you can, you can see it on your TV screens. And I'll, I'll tell you a bit later something about that. So, But no, on the whole, I tend to think, you know, I take the old-fashioned view that, Theatre uh, belongs in the theatre and cinema belongs in the cinema. But I can see that those, you know, big national theatre productions that aren't accessible for everybody because they live too far out of London or they're too expensive or whatever. So, you know, it's a way of people 
seeing it if they if they live out in the sticks or they can't afford it or whatever uh, to see these things. So it's you know it's for some people, but not for everyone. Uh, Claudia, there's been a, a lot of um, uh, new in the news about illegal raves, thousands of people mm. gathering in parks in Manchester and so on to to get down because they can't go to nightclubs. Uh, do you think we're getting to a situation there's going to be illegal live performances of Twelfth Night that people will be going to? <laughs> All the, the Shakespearean rule breakers. That, 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 that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Maybe. I'll be down there. I'll be down there waving my, my illuminated wand in, in, in the air. Um, but Brian, yeah, yeah. Uh, the cinema, how quickly is it going to get back? I mean, you're saying that they're waiting for these big releases. Are there a whole raft of new releases that are going to come out and we'll be back to pretty much normal releasing uh, by the autumn? Uh, hopefully, I mean, it's going to take time. And initially, what we've got this literally this weekend is the slightly strange situation of there being no new releases at all. As I said, you know, the big new ones are Mulan, which comes out at the end of the month, and then we've got Tenet, which I think has been pushed back to August. So at the moment, show, Showcase, which are opening this weekend, are having to show sort of golden oldies uh, like. Back to the Future and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Lawrence of Arabia and some of these movies, you know, we're, a lot of us are used to seeing only on our TV screens. So if you get a chance to see Lawrence of Arabia on a big screen, you know, you should take it. Um, and Greece is another one. Greece, Back to the Future, Lawrence of Arabia. It's time travel. Thanks very much, Brian and Claudia. There are not many people who can turn what might otherwise seem the least likely material into comedy gold in the manner of this week's special guest. Jenny A. Clare was the first woman to win the Perrier Award at the Edinburgh Festival, one of the original grumpy old women. Eclair has been touring her comedy Misery Guts act to packed houses around the world ever since. The author of five novels, now she has turned her attention to another aspect of the female ageing process. Older and Wider, which grew out of her hugely popular podcast, is perhaps the world's first comedy manual about the menopause. And to tell me how it is possible to be laugh out loud funny about an issue that for generations we preferred not to talk about, I'm delighted to be joined by Jenny now from her South London home via Zoom. The, the book you've described as an A to Z of, of the menopause, is that? Yeah, the book is a very user friendly, very non medical look at survive. It's a survivor's guide to the menopause. I'm 60 now, so I really, you know, I'm over it. Although the fact I've cheated all my way through it and I'm on HRT, so whether if I stop the HRT, it might come back with a bang. But it's, it's a look at really the emotional and uh, domestic side effects of being a menopausal woman, of which there are many silver linings, which are often sold to us as not silver linings. But, you know, there's, there, there is a joy to um, finding your furious voice and being able to tell people, you know, what to do. Uh, it's also, you know, it's got, it's got sort of the plus sides of the empty nest syndrome because we can all get a bit bogged down in the misery of, of our children fleeing the nest. But there are plenty of upsides to it as well. It's also a very unexplored area. I was thinking about this. You don't, for instance, think of the great menopause novel or the great menopause movie. It's mm. not something that has been much explored. You're, this is new territory you're coming up with here. Well, I, you know, I like to think so, but I've been ploughing <laughs> this territory for quite a long time. So, I mean, I've written five novels and 
every novel of mine has a bad-tempered middle-aged female, you know, at the centre of it. So, you know, I've done my best. <laughs> I, I think that um, it is interesting that you, you don't see badly behaved menopausal women on the screen, you know, and saying, I am, I, this is my hormones, I'm feeling very, very mental. People are squeamish about middle-aged women if they are not playing a kind of passive or older sexy woman role. The stuff that I couldn't give a shit about is the kind of stuff that a lot of people think that women want, which is a slightly aspirational middle age. And I think that I'm much more interested in the non-aspirational middle age, which is the real middle age. Uh, the interesting thing about the timing of the menopause, it comes for a lot of women at the point in their lives where they're part of the sandwich generation. They've got yeah. elderly parents, they've it's got really children time. who are coming up. Yeah. It's a pretty bad time. Have you found that that time has kind of reduced your creativity? No, uh, it's, it hasn't because... Uh, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. I think you're absolutely right that it comes at a time when really you're too tired to deal with it. I mean, I'd have been much better dealing with the menopause in my 40s when I had more energy for it. But, you know, there's, that, that, <laughs> that's not what happens. In actual fact, it happens at the right time. It's a real kind of passage of time. And it's a real kind of one, you know, one chapter of your book, one half of your book is over. This is, you're into the second half. It comes at a time when um, you have to deal with a lot of things on an emotional level, which can be, you can look at your partner and think, sick of the sight of you, you know, it's been 40 years, oh, or 30 years or whatever. Your children have left, uh, or else they're still in the house being very ungrateful, uh, which is a, a particular London problem. And your uh, parents are getting elderly, and you always thought that they would be able to look after you. And suddenly you realise that you're going to have to look after them. And it's very frightening and very worrying. And people start dying. You have to find your creativity as well. You can't, at 50 plus, expect it all to land on your lap anymore because that's not what happens. So you have to go out searching a bit. I mean, a lot of my work has always been very self-generated. You know, I've written novels. Um, I write my own shows. So, I, you know... I waited a long time for the chat show or the something show to land in my, you know, my grubby little hands. And that didn't happen. So you have to, if you want to make a living, you have to find your creativity and you have to just sort of vlog yourself to do it. One of the things about you, Jenny, is that everybody knows about you is you were the, uh, one of the originators of, of, of grumpy old women. Yeah. Uh, have you got more grumpy, less grumpy? I, I, I've sustained my grumpiness. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I don't give in to things particularly. I'm sort of quite a terrier in my nature. Uh, but I do think that a, a kind of global pandemic does teach you where and when to, and what to be grumpy about. It's no longer, you know, getting served a drink in a warm glass in a posh restaurant you know, oh, if only, you know, that it sort of puts past grumps into a little bit of a cocked hat, doesn't it, the COVID-19? It does indeed. And I was, uh, I was thinking that the, the, the last time I saw you, you, you wouldn't know that I was there, but it was, a, it was an exhibition for comedians who had done art 
and uh, you were there and it was the pack the most packed room in hackney or somewhere like that yeah and it's um, back alley in hackney. it was and you were displaying some of your works of art so are you doing a lot of that I do, uh, yeah, I, I, I sold that night as well. I sold, I sold a picture for 350 quid. I was absolutely delighted. Um, and it was entitled The Kind of Painting a Middle-Aged Woman Would Do. Um, <laughs> because it was, it was a, a flat, it was flowers. So, yeah, I, when lockdown happened, I started doing a, a piece of art a day. I did, um, I, from the 17th of March to the 1st of June, I did a piece of, of artwork every single day. Uh, I took about an hour a day to do to draw something or paint something, and um, yeah, I, I, I it, it, I've got a huge amount of unwanted work. You no, know, really. But well, if you sold one for three hundred and fifty pounds, that's what art galleries are now open, Jenny. You can put yeah, on yeah. a display of your work. Well, I, I think there's there there might be plans to have a sort of hopefully flog them off for charity at some point. But I did the Grace and Perry Arts Club as well with that which I, I just thought I thought that that was one of the wonders of lockdown television Grayson's Art Club uh, was absolutely triumphant and showed what you can do with lockdown television now I'm going to ask you uh, the, you you mentioned this that actually there are lots of funny things about menopause give us yeah. your funniest thing then there's a joke that was always in the grumpy shows that I think sort of um, for me really encapsulated the power of a middle-aged female joke that worked globally. Because remember, this is a show that we did in Finland, in Iceland, in Australia, in Ireland. So it went around the block. It was translated into other languages. So I've sat in audiences in Iceland and heard women laugh with the same decibel level as you would, you know, in Manchester, in Cardiff or whatever. And the joke is about female pattern balding. It's about how women's pubic hair starts to thin as they get older and how the real dilemma is whether to shave it all off or comb it over. <laughs> there was always a moment when the actress playing that role that said that line did the comb over line where the whole, you know, everybody would laugh. So was that what you wanted? That's <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. So as a final thought, uh, Jenny, you don't, you, I know you claim you're still grumpy, but you come across as a, a very positive person. Is life better for you at 60 than it was when you were 20? Oh, it's easier for me. Yes, very much so. I can relax a bit now. I mean, no, nobody's having an easy time for it in my industry at the moment. I mean, we are being completely forgotten. Um, and I'm so lucky to have the writing side because otherwise, you know, I'd be phoning my mum and saying, can you lend me 20 quid? There's a lot, there's a lot to be said for having a back catalogue to sort of just go, I've done that, I've done that, it's okay, I've done that, I don't have as much to prove. It's kind of, you know, the exhausting thing of being a 20-something and not knowing any of the answers about your life, which are answered inevitably by the time you're 50. You've either got children or you haven't. You're not suddenly going to have some, you know, 50 plus. That ain't going to happen. You know, you've either met someone you love or, or you haven't. You've either made some money or you haven't. You kind of, you're, everything's much clearer. The pictures are clearer. And the pictures are definitely clearer in, in your book, Older and Wider, now available at all, well, 
through Amazon anyway. Well, but yeah, <laughs> let's face it. No, the bookshops are open. Uh, so, you know, go in, don't muck about, don't maul, you know, hundreds of books. Just go straight for Go straight for that one. Go straight for that one. Pick it up the shelf, go and pay for it, and then get, take it home and read it and enjoy it. I think it's the first comedy book about the menopause. It's certainly not the first book about the menopause, but I do think it's the first easy read that doesn't make you feel slightly suicidal at the end of it. That is a sell. Well, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Now's the time for Hits and Misses, where the Daily Mail's writers assess the new releases and tell us what it's worth buying a pint for in your opened-up local and what should be put into immediate local lockdown. First up, the Daily Mail's film man, Brian Viner. Brian, you were suggesting in the discussion that there ain't much around. So uh, what is there for us fresh from the cinema? Yeah, well, as I said, Jim, the biggest thing this week is Hamilton, the the hit musical from uh, 2015, which has been a just a kind of theatrical beer moth over the last five years all around the world. And that is coming to Disney Plus. So it's a it's not a film version exactly. It is basically the original cast uh, of the Broadway musical performing their you know the show, and it's the cameras pointed at it. So we see it from the sort of the audience point of view and that's what it is. So it's introduced by Lin-Manuel Miranda who, who, who wrote the thing and who stars as Alexander Hamilton who was one of America's founding fathers and the first secretary of the treasury and had a pretty colourful personal life until he died tragically in a duel aged 49 and, this, um, and the musical tells his story, but it's with a difference. And actually, it's seeing it now is, is quite apt in, in the light of Black Lives Matter because Miranda recast the, the founding fathers of the United States, not as the white supremacists that they basically were, but as people of color. So, so it's uh, visually very interesting. And also the lyrics all come as, as hip hop, which is the, the original twist of it. It's basically telling the story of America then as America now. There's a great song in it. Well, there are many great songs in it. And this is one of the, the greatest we're about to hear a clip from. It's called The Room Where It Happens. And it's performed by, well, Leslie O'Dom Jr. is the actor and the character is Aaron Burr, who was Hamilton's great political rival. And here he's reflecting on his political ambitions. Two Virginians and an immigrant walk into a room diametrically opposed foes. They emerge with a compromise, having open doors that were previously closed. The immigrant emerges with unprecedented financial power, a system he can shape however he wants. The Virginians emerge with the nation's capital. And here's the piece de resistance. No one else was in the room where it happened, the room where it happened, the room where it happened. No one else was in the room where it happened, the room where it happened, the room where it happened. No one really knows how the game is played, the art of the trade, how the sausage gets made. We just assume that it happens, but no one else is in the room where it happens. It, lyrically, it's so inventive, brilliant yeah. music. It yeah. worked as a stage show, but it's, this isn't like the film version of Les Miserables. Does it work as a piece of cinema? Well, I mean, it, it's not even a piece of cinema, if you think about it, because it's, we're seeing it on our television screen, so we don't even see it on a, you know, on, a, on a big screen. Seeing it on a small screen, inevitably, by definition, compacts it. So, and... 
you, you get a, a full sense of its brilliance, of its genius, of the, of the obviously you hear the lyrics, uh, and you can quite see why it is so popular and so fantastic in the theatre, by all accounts. But you're not dazzled by it. You know, you see it, it goes on for two hours and 40 minutes. There's a one-minute intermission in this Disney Plus version. So it's long, and, you, you know, it takes an awful lot of concentration. And I guess there'll be a, quite a lot of people kind of pausing it and going up to, to getting up to make a cup of tea, which you can't do in the theatre. So maybe that's a, you know, that's a good thing. But I, does it work? I mean, you know, it's brilliant, and I hate to be dismissive of the, 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 the well, I'm not dismissive of the genius of it, because it's a brilliant piece of, it's a brilliant production. But uh, for me, I, I ended up feeling slightly regretful in a way, having not seen it on stage, that I'd seen it first on TV, because, you know, now I'm not sure whether I will. It'll save me a few, Bob, for sure, but I'm not sure whether I want to. So it's terribly, it's les majesté, I think the French term, to diss it, but I'm going to have to call it a miss. A miss for Hamilton from Brian Viner. Uh, anything else, Brian? Anything yeah. else you can quickly tell us about? Uh, well, Back to the Future, I, I, I said earlier that some of the, um, the, the, the showcase cinemas that are opening this weekend are having to show some golden oldies because there's nothing new, basically, yet. Uh, Back to the Future being one of them. I, I, I saw this recently, admittedly, on my TV screen and not, and not on a cinema screen, but, you know, I would, I would highly recommend people go back and see this 1985 classic, great fun. You know, the, we all know the story of Marty McFly travelling 30 years back in time and meeting his future parents and the, and, and the crazy scientist Doc Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd, who helps him do so. It's great fun. Let's just listen to a brief clip of the trailer. Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Well, history is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? He's sending Marty 30 years back in time. It works! It's a flying saucer from outer space! Now, he's trapped in the past. This has got to be a dream. About to meet... Chocolate. ...his future father. Of course, it's Michael J. Fox playing, playing Marty McFly. It's just a, it's just a joy to, to, to see him and to see that movie. It just so, occurred to me, uh, Brian, 1985 is, of course, even further back in time than they travelled in that movie. It's 35 years. They went 30 years. That is scary. A hit or a miss, though? Yeah, oh, a great hit. Uh, still a hit. Always a hit. I'm joined by the male's music critic, Adrian Thrills. So, Adrian, have you dusted down your two-toned suit and put on your polo shirt uh, to deliver your first review this week? Yes, I've got a very, a very smart mohair and uh, <laughs> certainly not a haircut like uh, like Paul Weller's new one. He's abandoned that classic mod feather cut in favour of a very long, flowing, dare I say, almost hippie-ish locks, but... Um, is uh, yeah, the Mod Father is back, and um, it's his uh, it's Paul Weller's fifteenth solo album, which is uh, 
quite something. He's had a very interesting career, just even just in the last decade. I mean, he's never been one to, to cater to the nostalgia market. And I think maybe a legacy of being a Beatles fan and also coming through during the punk era. He's, he'd started with, uh, with 2008's 22 Dreams album, where he, uh, he kind of veered off onto these, you know, for the next three albums into some very weird experimental tangents. He explored freeform jazz and tango tango um but he, he's come, come slightly back to to what we might expect from from him on uh, on his new album on sunset it's it's a lovely record it's reminds me a little bit of the music he was making with the style council in the 80s it's uh, it's kind of very soulful it kind of embraces a lot of classic soul idioms from it's got some disco high hats some ernie isley guitar and uh, and some great uh, some great songs on there as well he's uh, he's reunited with his old style council bandmate Talbot, who, who plays a bit of keyboards, and uh, a few other very interesting guests actually. He's got Slade's Jim Lee plays violin in that kind of "Cause I Love You" style on one track, and Madness's Lee Thompson adds a bit of saxophone. But some really good songs. Um, he starts with a real curveball actually. He starts with a song called "Mirrorball," which after two minutes it just goes on to this kind of completely free form segment where he has quacking ducks and tape loops very uh, very kind of revolution number nine uh, the beatles and uh, but reigns it in very quickly and uh, goes heads off to this sunlit soul uplands there's a lot of kind of nice 70s soul references on there i think one of the songs we're going to hear actually he's got mick tall but playing keyboards it's called village here i am 10 stories high interesting song it's his response to being told that you need to climb Everest and explore the Amazon in order to have like a, a fulfilled life and he's saying all all he needs is back at home it's a it's a kind of idyllic picture of midlife contentment it's kind of a you know hardly what you'd have expected from the punk firebrand 40 years ago it's uh, about as far away as you can get from down in the tube station at midnight or a town <laughs> called Manus as you can get but a good good album for you, is it? Is really it, good album, yeah. His, his songwriting is there. The hair might have got longer, but the songwriting chops are still very much there. It's um, you know, it's some of his best songs in ages, actually. And it's a very well-crafted 10-song album with no filler. A hit, indeed. Now, a lot of us nostalgists spent last weekend watching David Bowie at Glastonbury being repeated on the television. It was one of the great moments of, uh, of the television year. And, and you've got more Bowie news. Yeah, that was a, it was a spellbinding set, wasn't it? That Glastonbury show, uh, you know, Life on Mars, Ashes to Ashes, Rebel Rebel Fame. It was, it was a legacy set, wasn't it? It was Bowie playing his, his greatest hits essentially and uh, although apparently he wasn't actually that happy with that set he came off stage thinking it hadn't gone well but uh, i think most people who watched it on tv would, would beg to differ 
Um, but there's a new live album actually that's out um, out today, and it's from a slightly different era, about five years earlier when he was on the Outside tour, and it's uh, anything but a greatest hit set. I think this was Bowie when he was still very much in an exploratory frame of mind, and um, he he refused to play what he would see as the hits, and uh, even though he admitted at the time this could be commercial suicide, um, the old songs he did play on this album were the album. Tracks, you know, Andy Warhol from Hunky Dory, uh, a couple of great tracks from the Heroes Low Berlin era, Breaking Glass and Joe the Lion. Um, but it's there was a lot of new songs, a lot of tracks from the Outside album, which was quite a, an experimental, almost improvised record that he made with Eno. Yeah, it's very a very different band, a very different set to the Glastonbury one. Um, slightly different lineup in the band. He's got uh, he had Carlos Alomar and Reeves Gabrels on guitar, and it's uh, it, it's, it's a kind of slightly funkier band. It's a bit more swing than the Glastonbury band. Uh, you know, you know, good in different ways. This record, and I think we're going to hear a version, live version of the song "Teenage Wildlife." Adrian, uh, briefly, he was such a, a prolific artist. Presumably, there's lots more to come from David Bowie. Well, I mean, you, we, who knows? I mean, there, there does seem to be some stuff in the archives, and he was he was a great live performer. And I think we may see a few more live records from the various different different incarnations he he embraced over his career. Um, I mean, that's a song that was from 1980s Scary Monsters album, and it's uh, it sounds very like Heroes. Actually, it's got that kind of sound and that groove that uh, he explored on on Heroes uh, a, a year or two earlier. It may not be the Glastonbury set, uh, uh, Adrian, but is this a hit or a miss for you, this album? Well, I think Bowie, he has so many different guises. And um, as I say, this is very different to the Glastonbury set. It's not crowd-pleasing hits, but it, it's, it's Bowie. And that, that track, Teenage Wildlife, reminds me very much of Heroes. It's got that sound and groove. And, uh, and for me, very much still a hit. And finally, Claudia Connell the Daily Mail's television writer. So, um, Claudia, what's television got for us this week? Uh, well, we have a new drama starting on Monday on BBC One. It's called The Secret She Keeps. Um, it's a psychological thriller. It's set in Australia. It was a joint production with the BBC and an Australian network. It's about two women who are both in the last month of pregnancy and they have very different lives. On the one hand, there's Megan, played by Jessica DeGau, and she's very glamorous. She's a mummy blogger with a fabulous house and a husband who works in TV. But you sort of scratch the surface and all is not well. They're in huge debt and he did didn't really want the baby and somebody's sending her death threats via her blog and then there's Agatha that's she's played by uh, Laura Carmichael who people know from Downton Abbey she's on her own she lives in a grotty flat and she she works in a supermarket and Agatha for reasons that will become clear is obsessed with Megan she loiters outside her home in the middle of the night and she follows her to the park um let, let's listen to a clip I can't wait to meet you my little boy when are you do early June same. So who's the lucky father? Don't know. Do you wish that something bad would happen to me and the baby? Darling, are you being blacklighted? It sounds like you're right outside. This is Rory. 
Why did you lie? We're friends, aren't we? The secrets she keeps on BBC One and iPlayer. Secrets being the operative word there, Claudia, I suspect. Yes, I mean, as the title suggests, there are dark secrets here and, and Megan and Agatha's lives are about to collide. This, this was first shown in Australia a few months ago. It's slightly unfortunate timing here because um, it comes very soon after The Nest, which was on BBC One, and it's very, very similar in, in theme. Uh, so it's going to feel quite familiar to people. But um, that said, I, I did really enjoy the first episode. There's six of them. Uh, the first instalment ends on a real cliffhanger, so it does make you want to tune into the next one, which is the following night so are you giving it a thumbs up or a thumbs yeah, down yeah I am I'm going to thumbs up I'm going to say it's a hit uh, now uh, from secrets to a pair of blokes who seem to have lived their entire lives in public. Yeah, um, on Sunday night, there's a one-off spoof documentary on BBC Two called The Kemp's All True. Um, I don't know if you remember, I think it was a couple of years ago, there was a documentary about Matt and Luke Goss from Bross who were about to reunite and go on tour. And it was, it was such a cringe fest that everyone thought it had to be a spoof. <laughs> yes. And it wasn't. Um, <laughs> and that was undoubtedly the inspiration for this. So this time the brothers are Gary and Martin Kemp from Spandau Ballet. Um, it's a mockumentary and it joins them as they are attempting to reform the band, but without the others. Uh, they want to call themselves Spandau Kemp and they're recording an album of their songs covered by today's stars. And, it, and in the show, the brothers don't really like each other. They don't trust each other and they, they won't talk about Tony Hadley at all. There's lots of scenes where they just, you know, stop filming every time he's mentioned. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's a million miles from the truth, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they have lots of sidelines. Gary is running a retirement home. Um, Martin is trying to get funding for what sounds like the worst sci-fi gangster movie of all time. Uh, Martin is also married to both Pepsi and Shirley. And um, all isn't well at home. And we can listen to a clip. And how many kids have you got? Um, me and Pepsi? Got, um, six. No, got five. What, me Not and Shirley? No, you, five, yeah. Me and you have got how many? Five. Five, yeah. What about Roman? Yeah, he's ours. Sure? Yeah, I was there, actually. I'm unlike some people. We go on about this all the time. That was the night of the Mighty Ducks 2 premiere, right? I mean, what am I going to do? Turn it down? Yeah, most people would. Most people would want to be there at the birth of their child. Wait, do you all live in the same house together? You yeah. yeah, yeah. Three of us have been married now for about 31 years. Or yeah, so. yeah. Who do you get on better with out of Pepsi and Shirley? Oh, Pepsi. You know, we don't have any problems. We get on really well. Mm. Are you kidding me? No, we don't. We never Why would you really say argue. that? Because I, I do get on better with Pepsi. You know that. No, I don't We know laugh that. and we... And then what, oh, we don't laugh now. They are both actors, aren't they? Um, so they are good at doing the acting stuff. They're the craze at one point. Yeah, they, right? yeah, they played the, the, yeah, the craze. And Martin spent uh, quite a long time in EastEnders as well. So yeah, they are, they're very sort of convincing. I mean, it's, it's done in sort of fly on the wall style. And it's been put together by a comedian called Reese Thomas. And he specialises in these. He, he did um, The Life of Rock with Brian Pern. I don't know if, um, if you saw that, which was very good. I'd say this isn't quite as good as that. But there are, um, there are a few running gags that don't quite work. But there are also some really funny moments and uh, the Kemp's uh, they're great sports and they're very very happy to take the mickey out of themselves and actually there's some good you know supporting cast here as well um Simon Day appears Daniel Mays Christopher Eccleston pops up as well uh, and Tony Hadley 
Uh, no, he's, he's mentioned an awful lot, but he doesn't put in an appearance, no. <laughs> so thumbs up or thumbs down? Um, I'm going to say a hit for this one too. Well, now you know what's worth taking into your social bubble and what should only be approached while wearing full personal protective equipment. My thanks to Brian, Claudia and Adrian. And finally, we head across the pond to find out how things are in New York, a city like us, tentatively stepping out of lockdown. Our guide is the male's woman who knows, the celebrity spotter, celebrity spotter Jackie Stephen. Uh, now, Jackie, if there's anybody I would need to guide me through uh, an awards ceremony, it's you. Are there any going on, though? Is that something that has disappeared through lockdown? It's really sad. All the major award ceremonies are having to change their dates for 2021. And we have the first of the award ceremonies this week, which was uh, the Daytime Emmy Awards. And they were a very sad affair because they were done from someone's home. The presenter was at home. All of the people who'd won were at home. And of course, there's no applause. There are no really exciting speeches. They were just very boring speeches. Nobody crying in the audience. It was just really, really sad. And the way that they did it was to do clips from previous award ceremonies. And it, it sort of worked because then they could do the applause and they could cut to people in the audience who were quite tearful. And my favorite bit was when they had Mr. Rogers, who was the subject of the film A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Oh, yes, yeah. He was a children's presenter. And a lovely, lovely man. And Matthew Reese played Lloyd Vogel, who was the journalist who went to interview Mr. Rogers, who was played by Tom Hanks. And he couldn't believe that he was such a lovely man. And it turned out that, yes, he seemed very genuine. I mean, today, to be honest, let's be honest, a man who spends a lot of time around children uh, would be considered a considerable suspicion. But apparently Mr. Rogers was a very nice man. And in the clip that they showed from the award ceremony, he says to the audience, would you take 10 seconds silence just to think about the person who influenced your life the most and got you to where you are now in this room? And I tell you, the 10 seconds seemed a long, long time in an awards ceremony. And people were very tearful and very emotional. And then he said, think how proud they would be of you being here at this moment. And I was all welled up. It was quite emotional. So the Emmys, the daytime awards have gone on from somebody's home, all a bit odd. And um, what's going on with reality TV? Because that's another thing that isn't happening. I mean, you can't have reality TV if you can't go into people's homes and film them, can you? This is the problem that American TV has generally now, is that they are running out of material. I didn't think that they would. Drama hasn't run out yet, but certainly reality has run out. And all the shows like The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, of well, all of them, there are dozens of them. And they were supposed to have their season finales this month and they just haven't been able to have them. So what they're doing now is showing old episodes, but with people from the shows commenting on them. And it's fascinating because it's really, really boring. Because, <laughs> well, because normally they do scripted reality. They're given scripts. They're told what questions to ask. They're told what rows to have with each other. And suddenly they're just there having to comment on stuff and they haven't got a clue. All they can rely on is women bitching about other women, commenting on their costumes and their hair and things. And with the exception of one from the Real Housewives of New York, they are all absolutely dreadful. So this is kind of 
goggle box, as it were. They're watching themselves or they're watching other people on TV and then commentating on it. What they're doing is watching people from the other shows. So you've, you've got a couple of women from The Real Housewives of New York watching The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and vice versa. And there's quite a lot of competition between the Bravo shows, with, between New York and Beverly Hills in particular. But it's just, it just makes for tedious viewing. Normally, I've got them on my DVR, and I just don't bother to record them at the moment, because unless there's any new material, I'm just not interested. Yes, and presumably, they're just saying what we, we would all be saying is, uh, that's a load of rubbish and her hair looks awful. Well, yes, that's all we comment on anyway with them, and invariably, they do look dreadful. I tell you, those, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, they are dreadful for all their money they have no taste whatsoever they've got hideous gaudy jewelry and i suppose that without them talking you've got even more opportunity to just talk about how gross they all are and in new york it's a fascinating one because all they do is drink it's called the real housewives but it's a bunch of single women who just get drunk and fall over and do nothing else with their lives. At least in Beverly Hills, some of them have got businesses. But the New York ones, oh my goodness, it's like an ongoing frat party. You are selling that, Jackie. You are <laughs> selling that. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Lovely to talk to you. And that's it from It's Friday. We're back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. And if you'd like to drop us a line, we're on It's Friday at mailplus.co.uk. And It's Friday hasn't got an apostrophe. Until next week, I'm Jim White. Thanks for joining us. Hold up. 